Hey there, welcome to another edition of Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we're going to talk to Ashley C. Ford. She is the writer behind the New York Times bestselling memoir, Somebody's Daughter, which details her childhood growing up as a black girl in Indiana with an incarcerated father. The book is a huge hit. Everybody loves it, including me. Um, but maybe slightly more notably, Oprah also loves it, and we're going to get into that. Plus, we're going to talk to Danny Caranos, a.k.a. Amigo the Devil. He also has a rabid fan base, like thousands of people have tattoos based on his music. And we're going to find out why. He's going to play us a tune from his new album, Born Against. So, by extension, Oprah and thousands of people with Amigo the Devil tattoos agree. You should listen to this episode of Livewire. It's going to be great. And it gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How you doing? I am all right. I am trying to stay cool. It has been roasting in Portland. How are you doing in Corvallis? Uh, we just had uh, our local air conditioning guy come by and fit us for an AC. <laughs> wow. I uh, I splashed out for a ice maker that sits on the counter in the kitchen that makes pebble ice. You know that kind of ice that's a little softer than regular ice this cubes? This is the third mention I've heard about pebble ice. People are, it's like the new thing. It's like the new, what's it called? That pastry that everybody was really, cronut. It's cronut? Like, yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> pebble ice is the new cronut. Why do you like pebble ice so much? I just, it's, there's something about it. I think it just makes water taste more watery, mm. and soda, taste more soda-y, and I'm very excited about it, but there is like a two-week wait <gasps> because everybody's buying these pebble ice machines, but that's how I'm going to try to get through the summer. It'll still be hot in two weeks, I'm sorry to say. Uh, it may be hot forever, as we're hearing. I love hot weather. I mean, I don't love climate change, but I love I love a good bake in the sun, so I'm, I'm looking forward to all these hot days. Are you ready to sweat it out for another episode of Livewire? Does a bear sweat in the woods? <laughs> Uh, this week, they definitely would. Uh -huh. Molly, are we recording? Hey, Luke. We're rolling. All right. Take it away, Elena. From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, writer Ashley C. Ford with music from Amigo the Devil. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, the host of Livewire, Luke. Oh, uh, thank you so much. 
Elena Passarello. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hope that you are staying reasonably cool wherever you might be. we got a great show in store for you, as we always do. We asked the Livewire listeners a question. We asked, what would the name of your memoir be? Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking to Ashley C. Ford about her amazing memoir, and we're going to give you those listener responses coming up in a few minutes. First, though, we got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show. There is good stuff happening in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard all week? Oh, this one is very sciencey. So okay. it's going to make you feel smart. Uh, also, maybe a little annoyed because it's about earworms. Are you subject to earworms? Oh, the like songs that get stuck in your head, not like an actual worm that lives in your ear. No, no, no. Just those songs that like, yeah, you can't ever. Do you have one song for you that's like a t- always an earworm? Hit me, baby, one more time. I'll get stuck in there sometimes. Oh, really? The Britney song. Yeah, that one, that lived in there for a few years. <laughs> so what's going on with the scientific study of earworms? So in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, an article was recently published called Spontaneous Mental Replay of Music Improves Memory for Incidentally Associated Event Knowledge. Those scientists can really sell the sizzle and the steak, can't they? It just trips right off the tongue. I mean, it's like the new just do it. No, but, uh, you know, they want to be specific, which is great because they're scientists. Um, It's just basically the report, some findings from a study that was done on about two dozen to 30 USC Davis grad students about how earworms, songs that get stuck in your head, connect to memory and might actually help you access memories better. So they put these grad students in a position to listen to a song that they'd never heard before. And then uh, a week later, they played the song again and played a movie clip. And then a little bit after that, they asked them um, how many times the song was appearing in their heads and then they asked them to remember the movie clip. And the students, the, the subjects that did that, that had been subjected to the movie clip, had much better retention of both the song and the scenes than the control group of students who were not given an earworm. They were just shown the movie. So the song kind of jogged their memory, basically. Their connection to what they were watching or thinking about while they were recalling the song it deepened their ability to remember it. And the more times they conjured it up in their heads, the more likely they would be to remember scenes from the movie, which means that like helping people in memory care facilities access oh, wow. earlier memories, you might be able to do that with singing and repeated singing. Oliver Sacks did some stuff about this, RIP. Uh, so it actually, even though it sounds kind of silly, like, oh, how do I get baby one more time out of my head? It actually could have some pretty interesting medical repercussions. If you're ever telling me a story or like when your birthday is and you hear me humming, Mm -hmm. hit me baby one more time. Just know that I'm trying to really make a solid memory out of it. Do you know what song, by the way, a long haul trucker told me this. Do you know what song gets any song out of your head? No. Private Dancer by Tina Turner. You're welcome, America. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I've tried it a million times. Think about being a long haul trucker with an earworm stuck in your head. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the kind of person that you want the advice from for sure. The best news that I heard this week was actually something that started off as a mistake, but it had kind of a great little, I don't know, unexpected scenario come around, which was an intern at HBO Hmm. accidentally sent out a test email that was just for internal HBO purposes. But this intern accidentally sent the email to like thousands and hundreds of thousands of HBO subscribers. (gasps) 
And the email made like no sense. It's like test email number one or something. So then HBO, because they were getting so many people saying, hey, why did you email me this weird thing? <laughs> they went on Twitter and they said, we sent out an email by mistake. Yes, it was our intern. And yes, we're helping them through this time. And the internet responded by basically having a bunch of people share their stories with this HBO intern about things that they messed up oh, when they were interns. Because when you're an intern, the first time you do something really wrong, it can be just devastating. You're the lowest person on the totem pole. And Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> Somebody named Cassie said, Dear intern, I was using my desktop calendar to make a monthly note of when I started my menstrual period. But after several months, I realized I was making that note on a calendar I shared with all of my colleagues company-wide. <laughs> I was 37 years old. Oh, no. <laughs> Somebody else said, dear intern, when I was 25, I made a PDF assigning each employee to the Muppet they reminded me of the most. I meant to send it to my work friend, but I accidentally sent it to my entire company. My supervisor, Beaker, wanted to fire me, <laughs> but the owners, Bert and Ernie, <laughs> intervened. <laughs> My big faux pas was um, I always sign things best Elena P. And once mm -hmm. I accidentally signed it, breast Elena P. <laughs> Somebody did something like that in the legal field. They said, dear intern, as a young lawyer, I proofread a legal brief and I filed it with the court. I caught a typo and I blindly used the global find and replace function. <gasps> Pro tip, don't do that. My brief argued for the rights of the panties. <laughs> Not the parties. Oh, no. <laughs> All 50 pages of it. So wherever this intern is, I think they're feeling very, uh, very supported and very loved this week. So that is the best news that I heard all week. This is Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Our first guest is a writer whose debut memoir, Somebody's Daughter, became an instant bestseller, getting rave reviews from all kinds of people, including Oprah and the New York Times, which called the book a heart-wrenching yet equally witty and wondrous story. Um, and just a heads up before we get started with this interview, there are parts of this conversation that address rape and sexual assault, so it may not be suitable for all listeners. With that being said, let's welcome Ashley C. Ford to Livewire. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We are really excited that you were able to make time for the show. I know you're super busy because this book is already a giant hit, as well it it's should be. It's doing well, guys. It's really <laughs> doing well. <laughs> let's um, let's kind of start a little bit at the beginning of your story. Um, you write a lot about your relationship with your mom, which is mm -hmm. complicated. Um, and also a lot of this book is about your relationship with your father, which was also complicated because he was incarcerated when you were very young. What kind of role did he play in your mind? What sort of space did your father take up in your life as a kid when he was not physically there? You know, I've read something recently that said we are hardest on the parent who stayed or mm -hmm. the parent who stuck mm -hmm. around, um, which is absolutely true yep. uh, for me as a kid. And that, I think, was added to or it was, uh, I guess, uh, bonded by the fact that my mom my mom's way of like saying I love you and I care about you and stuff like that was just, you know, working really hard and mm -hmm. paying the bills and making sure things Showing were up. taken care of. And it's not that she never said I love you. It's just that my mom has such an allergy to vulnerability that her way of saying I love you was to be like, look at me. I love you. Okay. <laughs> Don't let anybody ever say I didn't love you. Don't let don't ever get it in your head that I don't love you. I do. 
and you would be like, oh, okay. (laughs) It was very (laughs) aggressive, but it was also like, that was her way of being like, it just occurred to me that I really need you to understand that I love you and that maybe I don't say that enough. And maybe I don't, uh, maybe I'm not tender enough for things like that. So I would be like, okay. And you know, you just kind of accept her as she is. But my father wrote me these letters that were full of this florid language about the way he saw me and the way he thought of me and how much he thought of me and how much he loved me. And he didn't get the opportunity to be around so much that he made the regular dad mistakes or the regular Mm -hmm. parent mistakes that anybody would and most likely will make. Um, So my relationship with him It was real in that like he was out there and I was here and we knew of each other and we loved each other, but it was unreal in that all the gaps that were filled in about who he was were filled in by my child imagination. Mm. And that only lasts for so long. (laughs) Childhood (laughs) is only here for so long. So eventually it had to change. Yeah, and as you write in the book, uh, a big shift in how you regarded him was when you found out what he had actually gone to jail for, mm-hmm. uh, which was rape and, and sexual assault, which was also mm-hmm. something that you had suffered through yourself yes. just before getting that information. What was it like for you when, you when you realized why he was actually in jail, based also on your personal experience? It was earth and identity shattering. <laughs> We have so many ways that we think about love and that we think about the people that we love. And most of that is pretty uncomplicated on the surface. Most of it, you know, it might hurt, it might not last, all of those things, but it's all just a lot of like confusion and and affirmation and, and trying to figure it out. When somebody does something like rape, like sexual assault. At the time, it was my belief that I was supposed to be able to shut off every positive thing I felt about him. You should never read another letter. You should never take another phone call. You should never think of him in that way again in a positive way, in a way that like my dad loves me. Because how can a person who loves you do something like this to someone else? And what does that mean about you? I thought it meant something about me. Mm. What does it mean that the person who seems to love me most in the entire world is a person who could do something like that? And so it was all wrapped up for a while. I was convinced that what had happened to me happened because of what my dad had done. I thought, you know, growing up in the church and stuff like that and the sins of the father are revisited upon the child. It made sense to me that what had happened to me might be a payment in some kind, a punishment in some kind for what my father had done. And it took me a really long time to accept and understand that my love for my father was not condoning what he had done. It was not 
forgiveness for what he had done. I didn't think that was my place to forgive him for something he did to other people. I never, I would never, I would never try to do that because I, if someone tried to forgive my rapist for me, the anger that I would feel at that would be insurmountable. But I do not want to deny that there is a human there and a relationship. And it is a love that I choose because it exists. I could deny it. I could absolutely deny I could say like, yeah, I love you, but don't want anything to do with you ever for the rest of my life. Um, but that would be denying myself what I want. Yeah. And I don't think I need to be punished. I don't need to deprive myself because of someone else's decisions. Like, yeah, you did this and you still have to be my dad. I'm gonna make you figure out how to be my father. You're listening to Livewire from PRX. We are talking to Ashley C. Ford. She's the author of the new memoir, Somebody's Daughter. And we have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be back with more with Ashley in just a moment. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm your host Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Ashley C. Ford. She is the author of the new memoir, Somebody's Daughter. Um, I've been following your work for a while now, and I find it so interesting uh, that this is the book that you put out, because I think if someone asked me, what do you know about Ashley C. Ford? Before this book, I would say, so funny, so smart, just like so outgoing. You could have, I feel like, written a hit memoir that was like heavy on the pop culture, you know, you didn't have to go here with this book. I'm wondering why it is that you chose to go here. I needed somebody to go there for me. Mm. Mm. When I was a kid, I I'm a reader. I'm a big reader, always have been. You don't think I searched for my story in everything I ever read? Every single thing I read, I looked for myself and I looked for my story. It is so hard to find a story about an incarcerated person that focuses in any way on the family that is left behind when that person is incarcerated. You almost never read about that. You almost never hear stories about that because people don't really care about us. 
we're collateral damage. Like that's what the families of the incarcerated are. People mm-hmm. feel like they are punishing the incarcerated person through us. That's why it's so hard to maintain a relationship with a person who is incarcerated. It's not just the the isolation. It's not just the distance. It's how much phone calls cost. It's how much emails cost. It's how much it costs to put money on someone's books. It's how long it takes to get to a prison. Knowing that when you get there, you still might not, you might have to wait half a day and you still might not be able to Mm -hmm. see the person that you came to see. Bringing kids into that environment is terrible. Like it's terrifying for them. And as much as the incarcerated person might want to see their children, there are a lot of incarcerated people who are like, please don't ever bring my child into this building. As much as I love them, please don't bring them here. And that separation from their relationships and from their humanity is no, and it does not help the rehabilitation process for most people. So when I, when I decided to write this book and when I decided to write the book this way, I knew that there would be people who would be like, huh, interesting <laughs> book for Ashley to write because normally she's just making me laugh or she's doing something that I'm like, oh, that's cool or fun. And that is who I am. That mm-hmm. is absolutely who I am. Everything in this book is also who I am. And I carry every piece of it with me every day. So if I'm going to write you a memoir, if I'm going to tell you about who I am, I'm not going to tell you what you can probably figure out by having followed me on Twitter for two years. Hmm. I'm going to tell you who I am. And I'm going to do that because I needed it and somebody else out there needs it. Lots of people need it. And lots of people need to feel empowered to tell their stories exactly as they are. This is Livewire Radio. We are talking to Ashley C. Ford. Her new memoir is Somebody's Daughter. Have uh, either of your parents read the book yet? No, actually. Um, All three of my siblings have. Um, After it came out, they all waited until after it came out to read it. And I got messages from all three of them this week that... Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I got messages from all three of them this week about um, how much they loved it and how much they love me Mm. and how they feel like they see me more clearly. And that, you know, both of my brothers were like, you know, it just makes me want to hold you. It just makes me want to hug you so hard. And, you know, my my brother that's closest in age to me that, you know, so much of this we went through together. He said, you know, this filled in so many pieces for me when I felt alone and when I felt like nobody was hearing me or talking to me about what was going on around us. And I just really wish that I had I had been less afraid And I had said more to you about how I was feeling. And it was just this moment where I finally got to, you know, have that conversation with my brother, you know, and say, who would have taught us? Who would have shown us how to have that conversation? How would we have known? There's no way that we would have known how to have that conversation with one another. And so we can have that conversation now and we can talk about it now and that's good enough for me. I don't ever want you to feel regret. 
I don't ever want you to feel like you failed me in some way. You have not. You've loved me the whole way through it. And that's all I needed. So that's been fantastic. My dad would like me to hand it to him myself. So I have... I had to wait till his vaccine was fully marinated and I get <laughs> <laughs> and I get through this um promotional phase this promotional junkets and yeah. the junkets and then I can drive up to Fort Wayne and hand it to him myself. My mother oh. um will probably never read it. Um, she's just the kind of person that if there's something she doesn't want to know, she's like, I'm not going to look in there. <laughs> Is that a slight relief to you or, or do you wish that she could read this and, and really understand some things about your experience that maybe she doesn't understand? At this point, it's neither. I have accepted who my mother is. I love her just as she is. And because I love her, I trust her to take care of herself. So the truth is, I have always been kind of like, there is a chance she'll read it, and I'm, I'm, I have to prepare myself for that. Um, would I like her to? I'm not sure. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm actually not mm -hmm. sure if I would like her to, but I know that I don't need her to. And I know that if she does, I'm, I'm ready and willing to have a conversation after. Uh, a person that we know has read the book, and really appreciated it is Oprah Winfrey because I saw her tweeting about it. Um, I know that I, I know you're gonna you're gonna do an interview with her in a few days. Uh, I mean, have you like are you even able to process the fact that like you and Oprah are sort of friends now and that she really admires your work? Like, how does one even take in that information? Gail is Oprah's friend. I. <laughs> am some chick who wrote a book <laughs> that she happens to like. I mean, look, I, at some point, Gail and Oprah weren't friends yet. So maybe That's you're true. just in the, you're in the before like 50 phase. years ago. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe this is the moment. Um, but I, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm not really nervous. I don't. I don't really get nervous about these kinds of things. I, I get excited and then sometimes I get nervous about my excitement mm -hmm. <laughs> because I'm always worried that excitement leads to disappointment. Uh -huh. um, but I but I am excited. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk with her. You know, Oprah and I she I don't know. There's no way she would know this, but she has been this like, I, I know, like, a national figure. Like, everybody has, like, a, an Oprah moment. I think of, like, Oprah said this thing that really helped me. Or mm -hmm. I read this book that Oprah suggested, and it was great. You know, everybody, mm -hmm. I think, has been a little bit touched in some way by Oprah Winfrey. Um, but I was convinced for years that there was something about Oprah's trajectory in her life and mine that were, like, lining up. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, and it used to really like mess with me because I was like, this, this, I will never meet this person. I will <laughs> never know this person, you know? So why am I making these connections? You know, like I own, she launched own at the same time that I was at like one of the worst places in my life. I was about to be homeless. I ended up moving in with this family that I had nannied for because the place where I was a 
about to move into was not technically really a place you live. Uh, <laughs> and they saw it and were like, absolutely not. Um, and would not unpack my things from the car and took them to their house and turned what had been um, the husband's man cave into an apartment for me. And I was down there sitting there like feeling super emotional about the fact that I'm living in these people's like house. And as much as I love them and care for them, I feel like a burden. And why can't I get my stuff together? Like, why, why is this happening? And all of a sudden it's like, own launches. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let me turn on some own. And I turn it on (laughs) (laughs) and it's Oprah and she's doing this masterclass. And in that masterclass, she's talking about her life. And this is a way that I've never heard about Oprah's life before. I didn't know about her as a child. I didn't know about things that had happened to her. I didn't know about how much she had overcome to become Oprah, how much she had accepted about herself in order to become Oprah. And I watched it and I was just thinking like, is this for me? Like, (laughs) Like I was sitting there and I think when you're really low, and you are open to things like signs. Uh-huh. Like, uh, it's easy for anything positive to start looking like a sign. And in that moment, I was just like, this is a sign. Like, things are going to be okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better. I'm going to figure this out. And I mean, like, a week later, I had my first publication, like... I broke up with the guy who broke up with me first in a poem that ended with, and you can go to hell, Ashley Ford. Um, What rhymes with that? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing at all. What rhymes with that? Terrible boyfriend. That's what rhymes with that. Um, and I and you know I just started figuring it out, and so like it's a it's a full circle moment for me. I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's amazing. Like it, it, you, you clearly identified something going on kind of cosmically in that Mm. moment with you and Oprah. And I mean, are you, are you already trying to like decide if you're going to bring that up with her or not when you have the conversation? Of course, of course, because it's like, it's like everybody who meets her is probably like, Oprah, you know, one time yes, this mm-hmm. happened, you know, like that, yeah. that is probably every single person who meets her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I, I don't think my story is going to be that much more special than anybody else's, except for the fact that, you know, several years later, you decided you liked my book enough to put your name on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the difference. And it does sometimes feel like magic. And it does sometimes feel like the cosmos, like conspiring in my favor. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really just like, I think she sees in my story, something real and true that is probably reminded her of her story, but also reminded her of more and more girl stories that she's encountered. And I think that she had a very specific experience in her childhood and in her adolescence, in her time. And it has shifted a bit for girls of my generation, millennials and Generation Z and stuff. And I think that she sees that connection in our stories that like, oh, this is what it's like for them now. You know, she's a story lover. So I'm glad she loves my story. That makes me feel really good. But, you know, it's it's Oprah. 
It's Oprah. So it does, if she hated my story and talked about it, I would still sell more books. And, <laughs> and because she loves it and because she has been so kind to me, this experience of being a debut author for me has been unlike anybody else I've ever known. And how do you say thank you to somebody for that? How do you say thank you for making my experience one that nobody else gets? Thank you. Wow. Wow. We are honored to be the second most exciting interview that you do this week <laughs> about the book. We're just going to claim the second place spot. And we're going to give the top one to Oprah. Silver medal. I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> yes. Okay, Silver cool. Medal. We'll take it. Thank you very much for coming on Livewire. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This is an amazing conversation. I appreciate you both. That is Ashley C. Ford right here on Livewire. Her new book, Somebody's Daughter, is available now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Sarah Nygbor of Beaver Creek, Oregon, and Lisa Brown of Gladstone, Oregon. Sarah and Lisa are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting the show with a donation each month, which we are very thankful for because it's how we're able to keep doing Livewire. So a big thanks to Sarah and Lisa this week. This is Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. As we do each week, we ask the Livewire listeners a question. Inspired by Ashley C. Ford's amazing memoir, Somebody's Daughter, we ask the Livewire listeners, what would be the title of your memoir? And Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? I love this one from Beverly. Beverly's memoir, My Guardian Angel is Tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that must happen sometimes. It's kind of like in It's a Wonderful Life, right? Yeah. Not every guardian angel can be equally competent. Somebody probably gets the guardian angel who's just like barely passing their performance reviews. Oh, I, I took it as the uh, Beverly's life was – the guardian angel was put to the test quite a bit. Oh, right? right. So the angel was tired from all the saving, all the guardianing it was doing. Yeah, so it's like a memoir of a very risk-taking life. I was watching my little nephews, Ian and Little Luke, we call him, down at the beach Aww. recently. <laughs> and Little Luke was running about like you do when you're his age. He's like three or four. And uh, he was about to bonk his head on this counter. And his brother, Ian, slid his hand <gasps> right under the counter. So Little Luke's head just like bumped the hand instead of the counter. And I was like, that is good big brother skills. It's wonderful. A little guardian angel action going on. It's another kind of big brother who would like smack the kid. <laughs> Further right. into the wall. <laughs> Not the kind of big brother Ian. He's a good guy. Aww. All right. Uh, what else are the uh, listeners saying they would title their memoir? <laughs> I love this one from Dale Klein. It's very uh, Merle Haggard. Well, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> strong, strong mama tried vibes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And mama didn't even do it. Poor Dale did. That's great. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> it's just, you know, all you can do is your best, I guess. Right. Dale tried. Dale tried. All right, what's another title of a memoir that one of our listeners would choose, Elena? This one from Frederick makes me laugh. It's called Procrastination, colon, An Unfinished Life. <laughs> Very clever, Frederick. I love a colon. 
in a memoir title. And uh, and when I went to nonfiction writing school, the big joke of one of my friends uh, who was in my workshop was that he was going to call his memoir colon colon a memoir of incontinence. <laughs> <laughs> I would pick that up. Powell's. <laughs> yeah, I good bathroom the, reading, right? <laughs> on the shelf. Yeah, very appropriate bathroom reading. All right, one more before we get our next guest out here. Oh, I'm really into this one from Ben. Ben says uh, that Ben would call their memoir, Nostalgia is Expensive. Oh my gosh, that describes my adult life. Okay, great. So you can explain it to me. <laughs> everything that I purchase is just something that I couldn't afford when I was a little kid. Mm. I got every kind of like Reebok pump sneaker and like I've got a Nintendo in here that is like it's a Oh, a Game Boy. <laughs> no, it is a phone case that you can play old Nintendo games on. <laughs> I all I'm doing is trying to recreate a better version of my childhood and it is expensive. Did you crave when you were young pellet ice or whatever that's called? Is that right? Pellet ice? <laughs> <laughs> I did. There was a certain restaurant that had it, and that was where I always wanted to go and get a soda because I loved that pebble ice. So there you go. Just another thing that I'm doing to try to recreate a better version of my childhood at age 45. Let's bring our next guest onto the show. No Depression Magazine calls him a storyteller's storyteller, whose songs reflect his unique observations and growing concerns about the human condition. His latest album, Born Against, tackles everything from revenge to addiction and mortality, but he still somehow seems to keep things upbeat. Danny Kiranos, a.k.a. Amigo the Devil. Welcome to Livewire. Thank you for having us, me in general. Yeah? <laughs> me representing the whole team behind me. <laughs> so. The entity that is Amigo the Devil? Yeah. Uh, where are you at right now? Where are we catching up with you? Uh, I'm in central Texas in the Hill Country, about an hour west of Austin. Oh, so. nice. Okay. Where did you grow up? What kind of music did you listen to as a kid? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Miami, which is much different than the world I live in now. Uh-huh. And I mainly listened to, I guess, heavier genres, to be honest. I mean, I started, you know, my cousin would show me some thrash bands, and then I just wanted it to get more and more extreme because it was the era of shock value for my <laughs> age group. Uh-huh. And then I realized how annoying most of that was. <laughs> so I kind of pared it back and started rediscovering genres that I had sworn off forever, but... Across the board, I, I feel very, very fortunate to have grown up with like a little bowl to pick from because we didn't have that much in Miami. Mm. Yeah, I used to live in Miami, and I have to say it did not – the death metal scene there was um, it fairly – in South Beach anyway, it was fairly <laughs> minuscule. <laughs> South Beach, uh, <laughs> didn't really see known for its just <laughs> doom and darkness. No, did not see it. Although one thing that I, I – I, I'm not somebody who has a deep familiarity with a lot of very heavy music, but what I hear from a lot of people who know it is that it's very complicated musically, and a lot of the people who are really good at it have – a really extensive musical training or have taught themselves how to do it because it's not as as easy as it might sound. Oh, I feel, I mean, th that is true. There's truth behind that. The musicality behind the actual instrumentation and the composition of it is extensive and it is very complicated to play um, depending on what genre of metal you are talking about. But for the most part, you know, I feel like every single genre you're gonna dive into there is a form of it that is complicated within itself mm -hmm. mm, right 
So. I saw something on Twitter about like the cave show that you played, and I thought that was just a euphemism or like a, just a, a club you played at called the Cave. But it looked like you were <laughs> literally standing in a cave. Well, how, what, how, what was that? Eight stories underground. Whoa! It was amazing. Um, my favorite part was hauling all of the gear up and down <laughs> oh, yeah. eight flights of stairs. <laughs> oh man! Uh, speaking of like uh, kind of genres of music and the kind of music you play, I was reading a review of this new album, and they described it kind of in passing as metal and punk infused folk. And I don't know if I'd ever heard of that exact combo. Like, did you invent that genre? No, 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 no. I not gonna lie. I don't even necessarily feel like it is the genre I belong in. How would you describe what you do? Uh, I think it's stumbling through storytelling and just trying to figure out a sonic landscape for the stories that I kind of hmm. start writing because the, the instrumentation is so varied from song to song and it's very inconsistent and I'm the first one to admit that. There are bands that are folk punk, for example, and there are other uh, folk-esque genres that infuse more of that punk element. So it feels like I'm cheating to mm -hmm. include myself in that when there are people doing it appropriately. I'm, I'm genuinely scattered all the time. <laughs> and every record I decide, hey, I really want to try something else. I want to try, let's, let's add tuba this time, right? <laughs> like, let, let's figure out how to just break glasses and make percussion out of it. Let's build percussion out of destruction. I love stumbling through storytelling. I think that's an amazing yeah. genre of music or scattered storytelling. I think that sounds really cool too. <laughs> I think your Twitter bio has a very nice line as well. Helping dark hearts tell their love story one song at a time. Yes. I feel like that's been up there for so long, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> you know, it's pretty succinct and kind of gives you an, an idea in your mind of what we might be hearing. Um, I understand. I haven't seen it myself, but I was told by one of our producers that there's a whole section of your website that's dedicated to um, fan tattoos about your music, which is mind blowing. How did that start happening? And, and, and how does that feel to you to be making music and then having people permanently altering their bodies to that tune? At first, it was a completely foreign concept that I didn't really know how to process, but it was exciting. And then, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, 30th tattoo <laughs> it remained the same feeling <laughs> and then now i think the folder has like i don't know 1500 or something holy cannoli oh my gosh and it still feels exactly like the first one <laughs> is there like a particular one that i mean it's hard to pick obviously but is there one that kind of comes to mind when you think of, of of creativity around people getting tattoos based on your stuff Portraits of my actual face on their hands. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> on their hands. <laughs> on their hand, Whoa. yeah. There's, there's two of those that I've seen so far. Whoa. Um, we do have a lot of little facial tattoos of the logo uh -huh. I've seen. Wow. We never get that in public radio. No. There are like zero hand tattoos of me or Elena. You never know. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a lot of people out yeah, there. I guess it's possible. We just don't have a website set up for it. Yeah. This is Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will be hearing more of our conversation with Amigo the Devil, plus a musical performance that you do not want to miss. Believe us. So don't go anywhere. This is Livewire. Wire. 
Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are talking to Danny Kiranos, a.k.a. Amigo the Devil. I, I wanted to ask you, Danny, about, about making the kind of music that you make. And, and, and there is, you know, I'll just say there's a darkness around it that's intentional, if I understand right. Or like a, a, a way of looking at the macabre. And like I know that you're really into like murderbilia. You have all kinds of stuff that's like little artifacts from kind of famous murder cases and things like that. And for people that don't necessarily know a lot about that world or haven't listened to a lot of that music and might think, oh, this is all just a very dark stuff. Can you kind of explain it to those folks and kind of what you're doing and what's behind it all? I think that it's changed over the years within myself. When I was young, it definitely started as a... Um, an intrigue into the the dark aspect of it, sort of that macabre fascination, like anybody would with uh, with an extreme horror film or something like that. Over the years, the more I read about it, the more I started writing about it. I realized that it's a topic that is so directly linked to mental health, for example, mm. but so disregarded from it at the same time because of the extreme nature of it that the fascination grew from this uh, dark excitement, essentially, of something taboo mm. right. to something mm. intriguing of, of what happens, what breaks that link, what is the cause of these horrible situations. And um, the collecting was somewhat of a, an instinctual growth because I've, I've always loved collecting things. So when I realized that these artifacts and these pieces of true crime were something that I could own, it was instinctual to just start collecting them. And then I realized that's not necessarily my purpose or fascination anymore. Mm. Mm. And through that process of growth and learning and investigation and exploration, essentially, I, I realized that my true core with it is making it okay to talk about these things so that nobody has to keep it inside. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean violence. I mean, not just violence. I mean, just in general, just depression, just feeling insecure about yourself, just feeling anything. Mm -hmm that can extend to a different form. There's there's nothing wrong with talking about it or feeling it. Mm -hmm. I noticed, uh, I was watching an interview you did with Consequence of Sound, and you were saying that this new album, that, that, that you were looking to make something that was a little bit by your own description, a little bit less sort of grim and aggressive than some of your previous work. And I think you can hear that if you listen to this, this new album, uh, Born Against. Um, is that just because of kind of like the personal journey you've been on? A lot of it has to do with the personal journey, and I don't know if it's the majority, but once you sing about enough true crime, you realize a lot of it is just the same. Mm. And then you start realizing that there are things that are more dangerous than individual human beings, and things like depression and addiction genuinely are, uh, they have a much higher kill rate right. than these, you know, weirdo serial killer fools. Mm -hmm. And... That's kind of caught my fascination, especially with my personal experience with, with all of that. Mm. 
and it's fun. It's just a fun topic to explore the the broken parts of yourself. <laughs> and then it's nice when other people come out. I don't mean nice as in like, I'm glad you're dealing with it too, <laughs> but nice as in, hey, you know, don't feel alone. Like we got this together. We're all in this together. We're okay. Yeah. Uh, this is Livewire. We're talking to Danny Caranos, a.k.a. Amigo the Devil. We're going to hear a song here. Um, what are you going to play? Uh, there's a song, I think 24 Carat Casket would be a fun one to play. Okay. Anything uh, about the, the, the history of this song or any particular reason why you picked it? First, it's a banjo song, so it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one of the not depressing ones, and I feel like maybe an uplifting moment would be okay. Sure. Sure. We'll take it where we can get it. Yeah. Well, well, let's hear it then. This is Amigo the Devil here on Livewire. Everyone says money can't buy happiness And so far in my life I'll agree but it seems a lot more comfortable to cry in a Lamborghini But one day while you're driving down the five The earth splits open and all of us die At least we're all together and this time it's forever And all we have to pass the time Is you and them and me and the reckoning <laughs> You might get to sleep forever in a 24 karat casket Covered up in dirt from a place you can't pronounce Headstone so small no one will ever read And one thing you'll never die with is dignity Most of life we're sitting on a bench And we know the bird above us is gonna, you know Well, some days we move, but others we just yell Just go ahead, everyone else does And I think I'd rather have bad luck than have no luck at all I'd rather be alive than half a dozen feet below And things will never go back to the way they were before I don't think this world wants us on it anymore I don't think this world wants us on it anymore Subtlety is not everyone's cup of tea. Some of us prefer a little whiskey, but it's your life. You're the only one that has to lose it. So we might never get to see inside a 24 karat casket. Hopefully we had a damn good life while we had it. Trying to be good 
to everybody that we meet, and hopefully, if we're lucky, we'll die with dignity. Appreciate you. Off of the album Born Against. My goodness. That was just what we needed, man. Thank you so much. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Coming to a stage or maybe a cave near you. Hopefully more caves. Always caves. Caves and haunted houses. <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, congrats on the new album. Again, it's Born Against. Everybody go check out Amigo the Devil. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to newly minted Pulitzer Prize winner Mitchell S. Jackson on how he confronted his past romantic relationships. In his book, Survival Math, I believe we were recording last week's show, Elena, and your phone was going off because you were <laughs> noting that Mitchell Jackson won a Pulitzer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. It's good guys yeah. win. Good guys win. Absolutely. <laughs> We've also got writer and therapist Lori Gottlieb stopping by to reveal what your therapist is actually thinking, which is basically why I'm in therapy because of intrusive <laughs> thoughts like that. Then we're going to hear music from the incredible Revel in Dimes. So don't miss next week's episode of Livewire. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Ashley C. Ford and Danny Caranos, also known as Amigo the Devil. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Jennifer Vo is our social media manager. Our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Sarah Nygbor of Beaver Creek, Oregon, and Lisa Brown of Gladstone, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.
from PRX.